How are you? It's good to see all of you. My name is Josh King, and I am uh, the candidate for your senior pastor position. And it's an honor to preach here this morning with you and to see all of you. That was a great job by the choir and the worship team. Would you show your appreciation uh, for what they did there? It was fantastic. You know, I'm new here, and uh, so I wasn't sure I was in the right place until I came in, and, and the back rows were completely filled before anything started. I said, this is a First Baptist church. And if you're new this morning with First Baptist, uh, hey, look, you can show up next week, and they'll let you preach. I, I just got here. So what a cool thing. What a very cool thing. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19 is where we're going to be this morning. I, you know, part of today is to kind of talk a little bit about me and to introduce you to who I am. So I'll start off by telling you something a bit odd about me. I really, really enjoy baby calves, baby cows. I just think they are so cool. I think there's everything that's good. And I know that saying baby calves is redundant, but I don't care. I like baby calves. I'm the kind of person that, you know, when I stop by, or if I see one on the side of the road, I'll stop by. I was driving this morning, saw a Longhorn Ranch, and I thought it was so cool. There's just something about them. Their knobby knees, the way they walk, the way they act. Everything about them makes me feel like a kid again. I love calves. I love them as pets. I love them as mascots. I love them as dinner. Uh, I think Texas is the only fan base in America that eats our mascot while we watch them play. <laughs> but we don't care. It tastes yummy. Ever since I was a kid helping my uncle bottle feed a calf in Maybank, Texas, I have just, I've just been in love with calves. I think there is something about them that makes me feel like a kid again. Uh, with a little bit of help, with Troy and Rob's help this week, I was able through social media to ask you guys. What makes you feel like a child? What makes you feel like a kid again? And here's just a few of your answers and maybe some others that I've gotten through the years. Some of you said birthday cake ice cream. I can go with that. Jumping off of a diving board. Somebody said that. Listen, if you can jump off of anything, then you are, you are still closer to the kid's side than the adult side. Get a certain age, unless it's on fire, you're not jumping off of that thing. All things Christmas, right? That's a good one. Karen said being around livestock. See, I'm not the only one. Whoever Miss Karen is, I'm with you. Yeah, I love that. Grandkids was mentioned a few times. Some other things that I've heard through the years are snow, turtles. I don't know. That's <laughs> what they put. Bubbles. I just like to see adults chase bubbles. When I say childlike... When I say something that makes you feel like a kid again, it is a release of all the ways that I am supposed to be and this image that I am supposed to project. It means that I can't explain everything and some things are just enjoyable because they are and I don't have to justify it. That is what being a kid again feels like. And I bring all of that up today because we're going to talk about a guy in Luke chapter 19 that acted like a child and not not in a bad way. And the way in which he acts like a child gets all of us grown-ups in the room, all of us adults to really come to terms, to grip at what it was that Jesus was about, what he set out to do, and 
the role we play as Christ followers in that journey. Let me pray with you, and then we will look at Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your word. Open our minds and our hearts to what it is that your word says. And God, where we fall short, give us the strength and the grace and the faith to be more like you for the good of others and for the glory of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up. There's the, the verses are going to be on the screen in front of me. If you're new to having a Bible, there's some there in the seat back in front of you. You can have that. I'm not sure I can give those away, but I just did. <laughs> you can have that. And listen, like I said, if you're new to using a Bible, that's okay. So in the front, there's a table of contents, just like in any book. And we all learned using it that same way. So you go to the right, and you'll eventually find... Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's where we're going to be. You look for the big 19, look for the little one, and that's where we're going to start. I'm just going to walk through this text with you this morning, if that's cool with you. The first verse says that he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. That's the way that it reads, just that he's on his way somewhere, and then he enters Jericho, and, and it sounds almost like Jesus is just passing through, like it's no big deal, like it's a rest stop on his way to wherever he is going. In chapter 9, Luke has already told us that Jesus has determined in his mind to get to Jer- or Jerusalem. So Jesus is going from where he's coming from to Jerusalem. This is his path. That's where he wants to go. And then Luke tells us, by the way, that's the way it sounds, by the way, he stops there in Jericho. But maybe there's more to it. Let's read more. Verses 2 through 3. In this section, we learn about the key character of the story. Verses 2 through 3 says, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of the crowd since he was a short man. In these two verses, we learn more about who Zacchaeus is. First of all, we get his name, right? And then we understand that he is a tax collector. Now, tax collectors back then were not very well liked, as I assume they aren't today. They are collecting the taxes. And he's not just a tax collector, but he is the chief tax collector. Which means, although he is Jewish, he works for the Roman occupation, and he has gotten a license from them in order to collect the taxes from the Jews. What would happen is that they would collect the taxes, let's say you owe 10 bucks to Rome, they would collect 15, pocket the 5, and then pass the 10 along. But he's the chief tax collector, so he's at the top of this pyramid scheme. So this is like the dude at work or your sister-in-law that's trying to sign you up for something. It's a get-rich-quick scheme. That's what's going on there. That's exactly what Zacchaeus is about. And he's not very well liked as a result of that. But it says that he is rich. This enters, uh, or this, this adds an interesting dynamic to the story because tax collectors were hated, but the rich were seen to be blessed by God. So there's this confusing moment just in the way that we introduce the guy Zacchaeus that makes those who are hearing the story for the first time and for those of us who are thinking about the story now to wonder this, is this guy good with God? Is he good with God? Is God good with this guy? I mean, he is obviously rich, so he's living a a nice life and maybe that's some sign of God's blessing. 
But he's also working for Rome. And so maybe that's some sign of being against God. There is this confusion in our minds about what makes a person right with God. The the disciples were confused about this at one point, And Jesus says, it's not what you're thinking. And, and that's probably what's going to happen in this story as well. We not only learn his name, we learn his occupation. And we also discover that he is short. Now, if you've ever heard the story before of Zacchaeus, then this is probably the thing you know about him, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was... That's right. Good job. You hear all these people signed up for the choir just now? They're very good at that. He was a wee little man. And that's interesting in the Bible because we don't often hear about the physical attributes of people in the Bible. Goliath, we know, was a giant. Eglon and Eli, we know, were not skinny. But those are just about the only details that we know about people in the Bible. This one is very specific. He is a short guy. He has a small stature. And that's the thing that we remind ourselves about. That's the thing that we know about in our minds simply because that's the thing that we can see. Because it's the physical attribute of the person that we really notice in our hearts. And Luke told us. Luke says Zacchaeus is a short guy. It's the thing that stands out to us. But my point is that that's not the reason that Luke tells us that he's short. It's not that he's short. It's what he does to compensate for that stature. And what does he do? He climbs up in a sycamore tree. Apart from maybe those of us who are deer hunters in the room, I don't know too many adults that have climbed trees lately. Any of you climbed a tree or chased bubbles or played with a turtle? We don't do that. If we were outside and we saw a beautiful tree, we might say that. Is a beautiful tree. Somebody might say majestic even. A kid would look at it and say, I'm going to climb that thing right there. I'm going to get up in it and fall out of it suddenly. That's what, that's what kids do. Adults don't do this. Zacchaeus does this. He's short, so he climbs a tree. He acts like a child. That's what he does. That's what they would have thought in that time. That's what we would think in this time. So why is Luke telling us this? Because I think Luke has already tipped his hand. He's already showed us why it is he's saying this. In the previous chapter, Jesus tells a story, or there's a story that involves Jesus. And he says this. He says, truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, there's a lot of debate about what exactly does it mean to receive the kingdom like a child? What does that mean? mean well there's a number of theories on what he's meaning but what i would just say for today is it's to receive jesus with amazement and trust to receive jesus with amazement and trust to receive him like a child would have any of you ever lifted your child on your shoulders so that they can see the parade is that not exactly what it is that zacchaeus is doing here in this story It says that he ran ahead, climbed a tree just to see Jesus. He's not trying to talk to Jesus. He's not trying to be healed by Jesus. He's not trying to get Jesus to show up in somebody else's life. He just wants to see him. He is amazed by this guy and he trusts what he says. Verse 4 through 5 is sort of a transitional period. You know what happens there. Jesus sees Zacchaeus up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down. So I'm going to your house today. 
That's what he says. I love how Jesus walks into a brand new town, looks around and says, that guy looks rich. I'm going to go eat at his house. (laughs) But he has good snacks, you know. Verse 6 through 7, this won't uh, won't surprise you. The crowd doesn't approve. Look at 6 through 7. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. That's like what a child would do. And all who saw it began to complain, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. Anytime that God begins to do a work, anytime that Jesus begins to work in people's lives, some people are going to complain about it. In fact, you can tell that God is on the move when other people start complaining about what's happening. And that's exactly what happens here, I would imagine that that would happen today too. If Jesus were walking on this planet today, if Jesus were to have a social media account, he would post something about helping the homeless. And somebody on Facebook would, would accuse him of condoning drug use. He would be seen befriending a prostitute. And half of the internet would convict him of a crime of not meeting their standards. Anytime that Jesus begins to work in the lives of other people... Somebody starts complaining. I heard somebody once say that Jesus knew and Judas ate too. Think about that for just a moment. That's the kind of thing that you want to write down. That's the kind of thing that you want to put in the margins of your Bible. Jesus knew and Judas ate too. Something that would have really shocked them, those who were standing by, is that Jesus knew exactly who Zacchaeus was. He knew exactly what his profession was. He knew exactly what that man did for a living. And he still chose to be his friend, to reach out with grace and with truth. And this honestly is a stretch for many of us. As as Baptists, we we have perfected the doctrine of separation in which we believe that somebody else's sin is going to rub off on us. And it has neutered our missional efforts. It has all but stymied our evangelism. Because we're afraid to be seen near sinful people. We don't want anybody to think we're like them. Listen, Jesus was never worried about that. Jesus was always the influencer in the relationship. Jesus knew exactly who Zacchaeus was and he befriended him anyway. They didn't condone Jesus' actions, so they complained. And then there's this really sad sad pause right there between verses 7 and verse 8 here's a man who is on the outside he's excluded from the community he's made some bad decisions and and they just can't get past it he doesn't meet their physical standards and there isn't anything that he can do about it he is shunned by family and by faith and by his community. There is no one more outside than Zacchaeus. He would have been more welcomed if he had leprosy. He's on the outside, pushed away, excluded from the faith family. And then, suddenly, out of the blue, a stranger shows up into his town. And he happens to be the most famous rabbi in all of the world. And that teacher looks him in the eye and calls him by name. Zacchaeus, I want, to have, I want to have dinner with you. There is this massive wellspring of hope that 
that overflows from Zacchaeus's heart. No doubt, right? I mean, he's outside and now he's inside. This is huge. And he hears everyone around start to mess that up. Start to wedge their way in between him and Jesus. Look at verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood there, hearing what they were saying. But Zacchaeus stood there and he said, and here's where I think that his, his voice would have started to break up. Maybe tears in his eyes. He said, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Lord, and if, and if, I, have, if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay it back four times. He says, don't, don't not love me. I'll do, I'll do whatever. I'm sorry. That's what he's saying there. That's what his heart is saying. That's what his, his feelings are welling up. Out of nowhere, Zacchaeus says and brings up this idea of, of, of restoration or restitution. He's going to pay back four times if he stole anything. Remember, he's not the one stealing anything. He's, he's at the top of this thing, but he takes ownership of it. And he says, if anybody has anything stolen from him, I'll give it back four times. There's no law in the Jewish faith at this point. There's no Old Testament law that tells him he has to give back four times anything. The closest thing is in Exodus 22 and 1 Samuel 12, where the Bible says that if you steal an animal, you have to give back four more. That's the closest thing. Which is ironic because Jesus is about to tell his disciples to go to another town and steal a donkey. And so he's, he better give it back. He better give it back, right? Got four more of them. What Zacchaeus is doing here is he's making the thing right. If your words hurt somebody, it's going to take your words to make it right. If you're always forgetting your wallet at lunchtime, your coworker has to buy your lunch. Eventually, you're going to have to buy their lunch. What made it wrong has to make it right. And Zacchaeus understands that. He is participating and putting everything back in order. Of putting it back. What was broken is now being restored. It's a picture of money, but there's something much deeper going on. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Because he too is the son of Abraham. What we are witnessing here is a heart change. This is a man that has made a career of taking too much. That's his entire job is to take too much. And he meets Jesus and he offers to give back more than he even needed to. He isn't the one ripping them off, but he takes ownership of it and he's going to give it back. He's been changed from the inside out. If you were to look back in verse or chapter 18, right around that same time that Jesus says the thing about the children, there's another story. And that other story is about a man that we call the rich young ruler. Luke has just told us about this. This guy comes up to Jesus one day and he says, hey, what do I have to do to be made right with God? Jesus says, well, Did you do all the things you're supposed to do and none of the things you're not supposed to do? And the man said, I have, yeah. Yeah, I've kept all of that. And he had. He was a good guy. A really good guy. And Jesus says, oh, well, it's simple then. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. And the Bible says that the man went away sad because he had great possessions. 
Zacchaeus is the antithesis. He's the opposite of the rich young ruler. You see, Zacchaeus has a heart change from the inside. And it causes him to do what the, what the good guy, the respected The rich guy, it causes him to do what that guy would not do. Because although the world would look at Zacchaeus and say, you're cursed, and look at the rich young ruler and say, you're blessed, this one had a heart change, and this one loved money more than he loved people. So he wasn't aligned with God. And that's what Jesus calls salvation. It's not that Zacchaeus earned his salvation. It's not that Zacchaeus gave enough money to the poor in order to be made right with God because he hadn't done any of that yet. He hadn't done anything. What Jesus said is that God has gotten a hold of his heart and gave him a new heart. Why? Because of faith like a child that accepts Jesus with amazement And with trust. Do you want to hear something amazing? You want to hear something really encouraging for every one of you. Those of you in the balcony and the wings and the front rows and the back rows. That very same opportunity is given to you today. You can be made right with God. And it doesn't matter how good the world thinks you are. It doesn't matter how bad the world knows you are. How much money you've given or how much money you do not have. None of those things matter to us. And Luke just proved it. Because there's two examples that show us. It's not good. It's not bad. It's the one who has a heart change when they receive Jesus like a child. So if you want to be made right with God today. If you've never done that. If you've never been baptized like that young man was. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Today's the day. Right now's the moment. That you say, I can't explain everything and I lay aside and I push aside all of the ways that I am supposed to be. All of the image that I am supposed to project. And I just know this, that Jesus is good and I need him. You accept Jesus as your savior and you are good with God. Salvation has come to that house. I want to finish this story the same way that Luke did. Verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Seek, like hide and seek. You know, like another game that kids play. It means that you go out looking for. It means that it's not that you just stumbled upon it. It means you went out searching for it. That you're hunting it down. The story ends with Luke saying... Out of Jesus' mouth, he said, I came looking for people like you. Which reminds me. You remember when he told him to come down from the tree? He says, it's necessary that I go to your house. And then you remember what Luke told us in the very first verse. Jesus was just passing through. Turns out, he went to Jericho looking for Zacchaeus. That's why he went there. The guy that nobody wanted around, the guy that everybody excluded, Jesus went looking for him. So listen to me, friend. I don't care how nice you look, and you all do. I don't care how kind you are, and you all are. I don't know that I've ever met a person who doesn't walk into a room like this thinking, I'm on the outside. I'm a little bit excluded. I'm not really loved. I'm not really accepted by these people or by God. 
And I am telling you, you're not only accepted and loved by Jesus, he went looking for you. He left all the others behind and went chasing you down. So if you haven't accepted Jesus as your savior, we're gonna give you a moment here in a few moments to accept him as your Lord and savior, to turn around, to climb down from that tree and to run in the arms of Jesus. Here's some application. It's a great story, but I hope you never think of a tree the same way. Past some of those trees in your neighborhood or at your house, you look up in that tree and you go, I wouldn't climb it, but I trust Jesus. Here's a couple of other things you could talk about over Thanksgiving meal with your family, maybe in your Sunday school class. The first one is this. We get so hung up on the things that we see that we miss the things that we cannot see. The thing we remember about Zacchaeus is his outside appearance, his stature. But the point was that this man was far from Jesus, but he accepted him. He trusted him like a child. Don't get hung up on the things you can see and miss the things that you cannot see. The second thing is to clear the way for outsiders and for those who are far from God. One of the main elements of this story is that there was a crowd around Jesus, right? He goes into Jericho and it is so crowded that nobody can get close to Jesus and the short guy couldn't see Jesus. That's the main setting of the story. Here's the sad reality. A lot of people like to crowd around Jesus, but few want to follow him. We need to make it our job, our goal to clear the way, to clear the way for those who are far from God to get to God. So we, we park far and we sit close and we sit in and we give and we lay aside our preferences and we love other people. We give up what we need to give up. Why? So that we can clear a path. We've already seen Jesus. We know Jesus. We love Jesus. But he's on a mission to seek and to save those who are lost. And so let's, let's clear a path. Why? So that we can see them come to Jesus. The third application is, who is the one that you need to go looking for? No doubt in my mind, every single one of you know a person, know a family, a coworker, a neighbor, a classmate, a barista, a cashier. You know somebody that God has put on your heart and you need to join Jesus in seeking them out. You just happen to go by Target. You just happen to stop by that classroom. You just happen to stop by their cubicle or their desk or to go to lunch at the same place every Tuesday. You just happen to do that so that you can seek out those who are lost. To be honest with you, there's absolutely no reason a church like this in a community like this in one of the fastest city, fastest growing cities in America ought not to double every year if we would join Jesus into seeking out those who are lost, make a commitment to see them come to Jesus. I grew up in a, a family that loves the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, we believed that there were we didn't even know there were other sports. There was just the Dallas Cowboys. And there were other teams because we had to beat somebody. And so that's why they were there. This was the 90s. It's different for the last rest of my life. <laughs> we just loved the Cowboys. And I've done, you know, I've trained up my children in the way they should go. <laughs> my wife grew up in a family that loved the Texas Rangers. Yeah. 
They aight. And, and, the, and she, she grew up that way too. She loves the Rangers, Ryan, Nolan Ryan. She, she was that kind of family. And we got married. And I have developed a love for the Texas Ranger. And she has grown a small appreciation for them boys. And it's just the way that our lives have mingled together. And so over the last month, couple months, up there in central Arkansas, you can imagine that our family cheered on from a distance, our Texas Rangers, as we, as they made their World Series run. I'm watching these games, and if they said it once, they said it a million times. These Rangers lost 102 games in 2021. Did y'all hear them repeat that? It was like every game. It's like, we know, dude. You didn't win any games last year. They would also constantly say this would be the first World Series win in 63 years of existence. They've gone a couple times and never won it. We're just like, it was almost like no one could see the Rangers actually win the World Series. No one could imagine it. In fact, when they did win, the Arlington Police Department was expecting 200,000 to 300,000 fans down there around the stadiums. Fox 4 says there were five to 700,000 fans that were down there. It was this thing, this, this bigger than life, this, this built up anticipation to finally witness, to finally see what it is that we had all dreamed would happen. But every Rangers fan I know, every diehard Rangers fan that I know did not breathe easy until that last out. Right? It's like the Cowboys in the playoffs. The first game, we can make it past one. You didn't breathe easier. You can be the biggest Rangers fan and you still had a hard time seeing what would be wonderful. That's what I'm inviting you to do today. That's what I'm inviting you to do is to look past what you can see. Look at what you can't quite see with faith like a child. Let's pray together, God. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this day. We thank you for eyes to see what we cannot see. God, we thank you for all the lost people that we know. God, I pray over those who don't yet know you that live near somebody that's in this room. I pray for those who don't yet know you that go to school with somebody that's in this room. Because God, over the next couple weeks, over the next few months, we're going to be intentional about seeking out those who are far from you. God, we are going to make room for them to come. And then we're going to see what we've always dreamed about seeing. is just endless baptisms, endless people coming to know you. God, thank you for your word and the challenge it is to our hearts. We pray that you would work in our hearts and give us that strength. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. If y'all would stand with us, we're gonna give you a moment. They're gonna play some music. And right now, whatever Holy Spirit has laid on your heart to do, there's no doubt in my mind that you know somebody that needs to know Jesus. So right now, you need to tell God their name. Pray their name. Pray their name out loud. Tell them Tell God who it is that you have on your heart. Some of you don't yet know Jesus yourself. Right now is the time that you trust Jesus as your Savior. You do that now. The Holy Spirit leads you as the music plays.